1: don't wait visit sonobello.com slash save sonobello.com slash save sonobello.com slash save progressive presents forest metaphors about bundling your home and auto And welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you would like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, TV, And to find out about the programming we have available for you 24-7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. My guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is Raymond Shemansky. And he's an award-winning author and researcher. Raymond uh, is currently the undisputed expert on Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and its heralded connection to extraterrestrials. In his 2016 published book, Fifty Shades of Grey, Evidence for Extraterrestrial Visitation to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and Beyond, Szymanski reveals a myriad of photographic evidence he has personally taken and factual information he has developed from that supports long-held rumors of Wright-Patterson's alien in, uh, involvement. As a 40-year employee of the legendary Air Force Base, Raymond has unique first-person access to locations and individuals with information that eludes other accomplished researchers, regardless of their pedigree. Joining me now is Raymond Shamansky. And Raymond, welcome to the x
0: Hey, thanks, Rob. Just delighted to be here.
1: Well, we're super glad that you're here, my friend. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself and where your interest in extraterrestrials comes from.
0: The first week that I was a co-op student at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base was January of 1973. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a mentor who was assigned to me that I write about in the book. And I call him Corvett Al because he would not permit me to use his last name for reasons I'll explain later. So he said, hey, look, at, you're the new guy. I'm going to show you where the Greasy Spoon Cafe is. And it was out our building through this dark, unused hangar and into another section of this very large complex. Mm-hmm. And as we stepped into this very empty, dark hangar, he turns to me and said, have you heard about our aliens? And I know I'm a kid from Detroit, you know, 19. I didn't know aliens. So I said, what what do you mean? He goes, yeah, there was a crash out west and they bought the aliens machine and the aliens here for evaluation. And I said, oh, really? He said, "Um, yeah. He said they keep them in the tunnels. And to which I replied, we have tunnels? You know, imagine this is my first week at a a place that has over 600 buildings and 8,000 acres. Wow. So the conversation went on, and uh, I said, well, can we go see these aliens in the tunnels? He said, no. Well, why not? Well, because it's a secret. (laughs) And I had to laugh. I said, well, if it's a secret, how do you know about it? Exactly. And he said, well, everybody knows about it. It's kind of a general population secret. Hmm. So, you know, I learned more, and I asked folks about it, but... In 1973, you know, Blue Book had already been there for over 20 years, so everyone was knowledgeable about the connection between Wright-Patterson and the Roswell crash wreckage, which actually was taken there and was evaluated there. So I think it was just one of those, yeah, we know Wright-Patt's connected to aliens, and our belief is that they're hidden somewhere on base, maybe not necessarily in the tunnels. And that's where it all started.
1: Fascinating. Uh, if, if somebody would have asked me if I seen the aliens being from Detroit, I would have said, sure, the Canadians come across the uh, bridge all the time.
0: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. For, for cheap shoes. They're shopping at Sears. That's
1: right. That's right. Not to mention the cheap booze as well. What do you think is going to happen be, with the trade war between Canada and the United States now? Isn't that, isn't that stupid?
0: Uh, you know, I'm actually living in a in a dark hole in my basement, so I, I don't really watch the news. I don't watch national news. I don't Dearest. watch local news. And, you know, you could tell me that we were at a real war with each other. I honestly wouldn't be aware of it.
1: <laughs> you're a very smart man. Um, you're a photojournalist. Yes. How does this tie into your book? A
0: lot of the books uh, you'll find are just nothing but narrative. Mm-hmm. And it would be, be nice to get a little you know, evidence to kind of visualize what's going on and sink your teeth into it. So when I say I was with Travis Walton at the site of his abduction on this day in 2015, I have a photograph of myself and Travis Walton at his abduction site on that date published in the book. And I, I do that for just about everything because I think it adds credibility And it says, hey, you know, if you don't agree with me or you think I'm blowing smoke, well, here's my best evidence. Go ahead and try to refute it. And I find that a lot of folks are telling stories in their books. And I've actually called out a couple of authors and and pointed out stories that I knew were false. And they just kind of blew me off. But, you know, in one case, it was a story about uh, a person who was actually my boss, at Wright-Patterson, and I called the uh, co-authors on it, and they just went, oh, well, you know, we had a source and it was unreliable, and did they do anything about it? No. So I like to put some extra evidence in there to build the credibility of the stories that I tell in the book.
1: Um, why did you write a book about UFOs? You know, you, you could have written a book about so many other things. Was it the direct connection with Wright, uh, Wright-Patterson? I had been reading and
0: researching this topic for decades, and I started to visit, back in about 2005, I started to visit a number of the famous UFO sites, just as a curiosity, to kind of go, okay, I want to poke my fingers into this thing. I want to see if I can find some new witnesses, maybe uh, some old witnesses, Mm -hmm. some older new evidence. I I wanted to convince myself that the stories that I'd been hearing for decades on the base had some substance to them.
1: Did you find a connection in between all those locations that you visited? Was there, you know, being there, taking the photographs that you have, is there a connection? Or are these just sporadic locations where these extraterrestrial events took place?
0: Well, let's look at three of the four stories that I investigate. I investigate the 1965 Exeter, New Hampshire, uh, 1975 Travis Walton, and 1980 Rendlesham Forest. So in the first instance, I went to Exeter, and in the book Incident at Exeter, written by John Fuller, famous Mm -hmm. book about it, I actually was able to find, through my own research and some clues in the book, the site, the actual site where Norman Muscarello, in, in September of 1965, saw a 90-foot UFO hovering over this farmhouse. So I go to this farmhouse, and who answers the door but the son of the man who owned the farm during the time that John Fuller wrote his famous book. And at the, at the time, this guy was uh, uh, 80 years old. 80 plus years old. And he toured me around his, the farmhouse and pointed the area over the house and the, the uh, garage and said, that's where Norman saw the 90 foot UFO. Wow. That rock wall over here is where he dove behind, took me to the back property and said, this is where the UFO was hiding out uh, during the day. So uh, I, I found that Uh, The connection, there was always a witness who would talk to me, even though, you know, they had gotten it secondhand. He obviously wasn't out there with Norman. And I did that for everything. Of course, I went to Travis Walton's site with Travis, Mm -hmm. and I went uh, to Rendlesham Forest to investigate. And I've had personal conversations with some of the key players, including Colonel Halt and John Burroughs uh, of the famous Rendlesham incident.
1: But isn't there a a discrepancy in the Randlesham Forest on how it was actually uh, put together in the book?
0: Well, it depends on what book you're talking about. Uh, If you're talking about uh, Left at Eastgate, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of controversy there because many people, including Colonel Halt, who was the deputy base commander, he says Larry Warren, who is one of the co-authors of the book, wasn't there. He did not participate, and he got his stories through everybody else. But the... The story that Holt, Burroughs, Penniston, Cabin Sag, the guys that were out there those nights and were basically on duty, uh, their stories are immutable. And for the most part, they sync up.
1: Yeah, I remember uh, Holt being on uh, a different perspective with Kevin Randall and uh, Kevin, you know, bringing that topic up. Do you find this happens a lot in ufology?
0: that what happens a lot. You know, there's
1: a lot of contradiction in, even in between the alleged people who are part of the case.
0: Well, let's take Rendlesham. I've had um, healthy conversations with Colonel Halt and John Burroughs and mm-hmm. I've communicated with Jim Penniston right. uh, via email and their stories fully sync up. I've read uh, the book that Burroughs, Peniston, and Nick Pope put together. It jives with everything I've heard it's a very very consistent story and there's too many witnesses there are All right. you dozens. And I, you, dozens and, you and I have to take witnesses.
1: our commercial break please stand by exon nation our guest sure. this hour is Raymond shamansky and his website is www.it's a we'll both be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton Ontario Canada don't go away Back, everyone Raymond Szymanski is our special guest this hour his website is it's a ufo.wixsite.com and he's the author of 50 shades of gray evidence of extraterrestrial visitation to Wright Patterson Air Force Base and beyond um, before we went to the break we were talking about oh well, I was talking about inconsistencies and uh, you were telling us about the consistencies that you found in the Randolph Forest case
0: Yes um uh, again, I've had a, a wonderful opportunity to s- actually speak with two of the principals mm-hmm. and communicate uh, somewhat extensively through email uh, with, with the, uh, the third, right. and all the material is pretty consistent, but there are some inconsistencies between what Larry Warren and his co-author wrote in Left at Eastgate and the story of the folks who have the records and can prove that they were actually out in a forest that night? Larry has some uh, evidence to show that he was on the base, but it it, it seems like nobody's vouching for him actually uh, being there. And uh, his co-author has recently disavowed him and said, "You know, I I was fooled for decades, and now I realize that Larry uh, was not." Uh, being forthright. Okay. And, you know, I can no longer back a story. I'm not passing judgment on Larry Warren or Left at Eastgate. And I, I really, really enjoyed the book. But uh, there has been some some facts apparently coming out that uh, prove that uh, the book Left at Eastgate uh, probably has a, a few things that were fabricated by the by the authors.
1: What does that do to the UFO community and other UFO authors like yourself?
0: Well, you know, I think it it casts uh, a shadow on us because, uh, you know, I myself have found reputable uh, researchers, uh, I'm talking people who do every weekend, they're out at a conference and they're a headliner. And, uh, you know, a couple of them, I've pointed out uh, errors in the book of fabrications or just, you know, sloppy research. Sure. And they don't... uh, you know, that's like, hey, we're selling books, shut your mouth. And, you know, so I haven't really made it public. But uh, for those people, I personally uh, have lost uh, respect for them. Uh, And there's others that I know are high integrity. And those are the people that I tend to hang with or I tend to communicate with. So, uh, you know, it's not all bad, but, you know, they should clean up their act a little bit. And I think it it maybe will cast a, a a shadow on, on the rest of us.
1: All right, you you gave us three stories: uh, the Exeter, the Travis Walton abduction case in Rendlesham Forest. On each one of the cases, based on the research that you have done, what are your conclusions? Let's take Exeter. Was it a UFO? Uh,
0: there's no doubt. That when you take into consideration the first night with Norman Muscarello, who not only saw it once but he saw mm-hmm. it twice. The second time he saw it, he was in the company of two police officers, David Hunt and Eugene Bertrand. So it's a no-brainer. The the police officers had absolutely no reason to say, "Uh, Gee, Scratch, Scratch Tolan was their uh, desk officer. Gee, Scratch, Uh, we were out there and and we saw this UFO. In fact, the moment they saw it, Bertrand got on uh, the walkie-talkie and was communicating back to the desk. And he goes, Scratch, I see the damn thing myself. And then, you know, in the book there were dozens and dozens of witnesses that were being interviewed by uh john fuller so you know that's a that's a slam dunk Uh, if you look at travis walton he had six people in the truck uh, the moment they saw the 30-foot craft that eventually zapped travis and took him away for five days they all passed multiple lie detector tests flawlessly Uh, there was one inconclusive and there was a, a reason for that this One guy was in trouble and, you know, he thought he was going to go to jail, but Travis's story has never changed. Uh, He has written one of the finest books ever, The Fire in the Sky, especially the last hundred pages, which debunks all the debunkers. And he goes into the story of how uh, guys like Philip Klass tried to uh, change the story and, you know, make life miserable for Travis. Read those hundred pages and you will come away with a fabulous appreciation of, uh, you know, Travis's story. And then Rendlesham, you know, I talked to the participants and I've communicated with others. Clearly, two dozen security police and senior officers in the U.S. Air Force would not concoct a story about a UFO. In fact, you would expect just the opposite that they would deny it to the end to, to their grave, mm-hmm. but that's not the case. So, for me, it was a journey of I wanted to poke holes in these stories, and I didn't care which way it came out. If I found people were lying, or the evidence was being fabricated, uh, or it just wasn't true, I was fine with that. But that didn't turn out to be the case.
1: Why do you think the uh, the officers involved in the Randlesham case? Actually, went public with it.
0: Uh, Colonel Halt actually didn't go public. Uh, he wrote a letter to the Ministry of Defense uh, probably a couple of weeks after it happened. I think there might have been like 10 or 12 days mm-hmm. lapsed between the actual ending of the events and when the MOD got the letter. And it was highly classified. But there was a Freedom of Information Act request, and there was a failure on the part of the person who was processing it to realize what they were releasing. So it was pretty much a mistake. And once the HALT memo was public, then it was open. So it was never meant to be public, but once it happened, they all backed up their stories and said, yep, that, that's the way it went down.
1: Tell us about your MIB encounters.
0: Well, there's a um, organization here at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base that ran Project Blue Book and it's called the Foreign Technology Division. Now it's called the National Air and Space Intelligence Center or NASIC. So they have a different acronym. But back when it was FTD, They ran Project Blue Book and was supposed to be investigative, turned out to be more public relations. Mm -hmm. And of course, they do highly classified work. I mean, just the name foreign technology or national air and space intelligence gives you the clue that they're doing important things that they're probably not going to tell the public about. Well, one day I was out on the golf course, which borders the building, and there was a gentleman who was in the shade of the tree, and um, I got into a conversation with him, he had the men in black suit. He had a hat on, you know, the, the typical MIB hat. It was May, so it was super hot. And, you know, in, in Dayton, we can get to the 90s easily in late May. So it was super hot. And, and he was just like totally not dressed for the weather. So I engaged him in this, you know, hypothetical are you a man in black and do you work there at this building? Which, you know, I know is the former FTD. And of course he denied it and we had this conversation. Well, months pass and of course my book is published. Um, there's a, a dis- long distance picture of of him in there and there's no way he can be ID'd from that. Um, I got a communique from somebody who said, hey, I've got another picture of that guy. Would you like to have it? Hmm. And they sent it to me and indeed it's a picture of this guy actually walking into that building and he is dressed precisely black hat, black tie, black coat. Now, is he a man in black?
1: Well, based on what he's wearing, sure he is.
0: Based on what he's wearing, walks like a duck, you know, talks like a duck. He's most likely a duck. I honestly don't know. I've had people who work in that building or who who know the individual have contacted me and said, read your book. I just want to tell you, you know, I know he dresses weird, but I don't have any evidence of him being one of these intimidators that go out and try to hide evidence of, of UFOs that they're re- reputed to be doing. But then again, I just say, well, explain to me why the guy dresses like that. So. The jury is still out, but, you know, I've had this conversation. He's denied it. But when I look at him and I talk to him, my suspicions are raised significantly.
1: You know, earlier in this hour, you mentioned the tunnels beneath Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Have you ever gone into those tunnels and have you, in fact, seen these crashed uh, debris? Uh,
0: Absolutely, I've been in tunnels. And, you know, we have... Vaults that go into tunnels and tunnels that go into vaults and every combination. Uh, I'm afraid I wasn't privileged enough to see any aliens. Mm. Uh, but they're And they're mostly uh, pedestrian connective tunnels or, you know, they run uh, heat pipes and electricity right. and, you know, mostly utilities uh, through the tunnels. Even though some of them you can literally walk through. So nothing sinister and If you're at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, you know the reputation of the base. They do highly classified work. You would be shocked if they didn't have tunnels, if they didn't have vaults.
1: Well, of course, you know, who wants the spy satellites from the other countries knowing what you're doing? It only makes sense.
0: Yeah, if, if that's, if that's yep. the purpose of the tunnels, uh, that's fine. But, you know, the tunnels I've been in, I, I haven't really seen any, you know, research equipment sitting there in, in the pedestrian thoroughfare. Now, it may be in one of the vaults that's in that hallway, of course.
1: Stand by, my friend. You and I have to take our commercial break with the news at the bottom of the hour. Exonation, our guest this hour is Raymond Shemansky. And uh, his website is UFO. And I'll be back on the other side of this news break with Raymond as we continue talking about his book, Fifty Shades of Grey, Evidence of Extraterrestrial Visitation to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and Beyond. This is the Exxon, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, Here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Simul Radio, Simul TV, and iHeart Radio. Don't go away. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back everyone. Our guest this hour is Raymond Szymanski. His website is it's a Your book's been endorsed by four world-class UFO researchers. Can you tell us a little bit about them and how they came to endorse your book? When I first
0: started attending the International UFO Congress, I tried to seek out the best people uh, for that category. So you know, Nick Pope mm-hmm. had his his uh, pulse on all things British. Um, Yvonne Smith was the world's one of the world's premier hypnotic regressionists. Uh, Paul Davids was very well known. He was a UFO Hall of Famer, well known for uh, his work uh, on the movie Roswell, and uh, Preston Dennett, uh, for his work in, uh, undersea UFOs, yeah. but more specifically his, uh, book UFOs over Topanga Canyon. So as I had the opportunity, uh, to meet them, I socialized with them, uh, asked them a lot of intelligent questions and, uh, communicated with them in between these uh, conferences, uh, via email, sometimes via telephone. And, um, you know, the way that I got to to actually, you know, the, the moment that I decided to write the book on UFOs is I was at that Travis Walton site with Travis in February of 2015. And something just clicked where I said, you know, I have all this good stuff, all this great information I think that needs to get out there. And the fact that Travis let me drive him in a four-by-four, slip-sliding through the Apache Sitgreaves National Forest on three inches of mud Hmm. to go do a photo shoot and, and, you know, visit his site. It, It just, I just felt at that moment that, you know, I was part of this community, And uh, one thing led to another. I uh, gave uh, the manuscript to these individuals. Uh, They read it. They gave me great comments, uh, some criticisms, and eventually uh, they just agreed to uh, support the book. They thought it was uh, great. It was, you know, revealing. It's a UFO expose. It's a quest for the truth. It's a coming-of-age story. It's funny, Uh, and they just took to it, so uh, they welcomed me with open arms, and I'm extremely grateful uh, for their support.
1: I understand that you had your uh, very own UFO encounter experience or sighting.
0: I did, and when I Look at the path that the UFO was on. Now, I live only a few miles from the Air Force Base, mm-hmm. uh, Wright-Patterson. And I was coming back from a therapy appointment. I had a car accident in and, and, uh, 2010. And I was coming back from a medical appointment. And I looked through. Um, something caught my eye uh, through the moonroof of my car. And I put my head down through the windshield looking forward. And I saw a craft. A, it's Hard to describe now, but somewhat scalloped with large uh, lights like you would see on a, a 1960s-era Chevrolet called cat-eye lights. And I, I got about a seven-second view of this maybe 100-foot craft slipping into these clouds that were only about 75 feet off the deck that day.
1: Is it possible that this craft was an experimental craft?
0: Well, they don't fly experimental craft here at Wright-Patterson for the simple reason that... The entire base is surrounded by communities, literally like the graveyard of Fairborn, Ohio, mm-hmm. sits one inch on the other side of, of one of the fences of, at, at Wright-Patterson. And then Beaver Creek is, is next to the other one. And then Huber Heights. And it's totally surrounded. And there's no space to do that. And, you know, it's, it's not one of those places. So, um, but if it is, if it is ours... If that craft is ours, then we ought to make it public, and we ought to point to it and tell the world, we own this, and if you mess with us, this is what you're going to get.
1: Why do you think there's a there's a truth embargo in place when it comes to UFOs and DTs?
0: Wow. You know, I really wish I had the answer to that. I'll speculate if you okay, like. Okay,
1: please, yeah.
0: The first thought that comes to my mind is is we've got this carcass with technology that's so far advanced and that we've been reverse engineering this carcass for decades.
1: But how do we know we actually have the carcass?
0: Well, we've we've recovered crafts or there are I guess well traveled stories about the material at Roswell that was recovered and Aztec and, and, and other locations that okay. we've basically recovered these. So um, using that as a, as a stepping off point, mm-hmm. we'd analyze it and, and we would actually try to exploit it. And there's a lot of narrative out there about, well, Bell Labs, uh, and did they indeed get the material from Roswell ceded to them from Colonel Corso? Uh, he wrote the book Day After Roswell, and if you're familiar with that, Corso goes on to say, hey... A lot of the stuff that we're now using now, although it might be 10, 20, 30 years later, we gave these raw materials to these very smart companies, and they eventually figured out how to exploit it, and voila. Now we had the transistor and integrated circuit and and lasers and fiber optics and all those type of things that maybe we wouldn't have gotten to for another 100 years. But
1: isn't it also possible that these are actually... Uh, discoveries made by humans and have nothing to do with ETs.
0: You know, it's entirely possible. Mm -hmm. I have actually gone back to the folks in the U.S. Air Force that I knew personally that worked in my building that that brought companies like Texas Instruments out of the Stone Age with transistors and funded them to develop the first integrated circuits. Mm -hmm. And those people tell me, you know what? We did it ourselves. We didn't have any um, any help. Yeah. Well, that may be true when they came on the scene. But if you look at the Bell Labs thing, Bell Labs were struggling uh, for how to dope the transistor, what kind of chemicals to use so that it, they could control the electron flow uh, in, in the transistor. And it wasn't until after the summer of 1947 when, of course— Roswell happened that somebody got smart and says, Oh, we need to use arsenic as a doping material or whatever it was. Sure. And voila, they overcame this technical hurdle. Next thing you know, we've got a functioning transistor. But coincidence? Yeah. Not sure. Not
1: sure. You know, there's but, a lot of circumstantial evidence with all of the UFO scenario, but when it comes to hard fact, hardcore evidence, there's very little.
0: I have to agree. There is there is a, a ton of narrative, yes. there's a ton of depositions, um, and that's why there's researchers like myself you know, in the field with metal detectors going to reputed crash sites uh, looking for something that might be testable.
1: So, all these years that you've been going to crash sites, have you found any evidence?
0: Um, actually I've only been going to craft sites for two years okay and two um, years. I currently don't have any test results that indicate that uh, any materials that i either found myself or mm-hmm. others have bequeathed to me um, show anything that I can pound my hand on the table and go yeah this is this is irrefutable but there's always hope
1: that's true there's always hope why do so many people believe that the aliens are responsible for so many of, of modern-day technology? I I, I I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that, that we would rather give credibility to aliens or spacecraft that nobody can prove actually exist and take the glory and the, and the good work done by many people.
0: Rob, all we needed was the knowledge of what chemical to use mm-hmm. to, to dope the substrate and the transistor was born. It was just a little clue. And we're off and running. And the same thing with everything else. No, the aliens didn't give us integrated circuits. Mm-hmm. No, they maybe didn't give us laser technology nor nor uh, uh, fiber optics, but there was enough clues there that we went oh well if we can do it make one transistor we can make a million of them oh wait a minute there's this thing here it's silicon well that's odd what's that all about
1: okay so i i understand i understand where you're going i understand where you're going they
0: just gave us the building blocks
1: but we don't know that for a fact that is a giant leap in supposition and i couldn't agree i couldn't agree more and and you know what how do we know if if somebody could travel across the galaxy through different universes, how do we even know that they need transistors? You know, we're we're making a lot of suppositions here. And I think that this is what people are having problems with when it comes to the UFO community is it's a lot of smoke. But where's the fire?
0: No, there's a really a lot of good solid research there. I mean, let's look at the, um, abduction phenomena. You have hundreds, if not thousands of individuals mm-hmm. with medical, clinical, um, psychological evidence that they bring forward. They say, look at, um, I had a pregnancy. I have a conscious recollection of, uh, uh creatures that I don't recognize. My neighbors saw the craft land in my backyard. There's radiological evidence. They burned the hole. The Geiger counter, you know, went off mm-hmm. off the charts. Uh, f- four months later, I go to my gynecologist, and they cannot explain where the baby
1: is. All right, we're going to hold it right there because I've got to take my final break. Exo Nation, our guest this hour is Raymond Shemansky. His website: www.itsaUFO. site. And we'll wrap up this hour here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. When we come back from this commercial break, I'm Rob McConnell. This is the X-Zone. Don't go away. Welcome back. Our guest this hour is Raymond Szymanski, and uh, we're talking to Raymond about his uh, book. It's entitled Fifty Shades of Gray Evidence of Extraterrestrial Visitation to Wright Patterson Air Force Base and Beyond. His website is it's a UFO.wixsite.com. Tell me, do you have a photograph of an actual UFO in your book? I do not. Then how can you call your book, Fifty Shades of Grey, Evidence of Extraterrestrial Visitation, to write it's Patterson? It's actually...
0: Um You've been mispronouncing it the entire show. It's actually Fifty Shades of Grays. That's plural G R U I S, uh, and you've been using the singular, which is which tells me what kind of smut you've been reading.
1: <laughs> well, no, it's a typo. It's not the smut I've been reading. So, okay. so all right. So, so tell <laughs> me, evidence of extraterrestrial visitation to Wright Patterson Air Force Base and and beyond. So, yes. where where is the evidence in the book?
0: Um. We're actually trying to dig that out. Uh, One of the things that I discuss in the book is the Adena Mound. Now, the ancient Adena Mound, uh, the Adena culture uh, here in the Miami Valley goes back uh, about uh, 3,000 years. Mm -hmm. And there's a very large Adena Mound here on the base. The Adena, as a culture, the, the largest metallic object that they had Uh, was a copper axe head, uh, which was probably about five inches uh, in length. Uh, In the 1980s, early 90s, they did a non-intrusive, like ground-penetrating radar Mm -hmm. and and several other uh, electrical conductivity tests to try to uh, determine the stability, uh, the disturbance level, and the contents of Mm -hmm. the Adena Mound. They were shocked to find... Um, multiple large metal objects that are about two foot by two foot in the Adena Mound that they cannot explain.
1: Why don't they just dig them up?
0: Uh, it's against the law, for one. Uh, it's, it's actually a cultural heritage site, mm-hmm. and despite the fact that um, that mound is, sits behind the fence in Area B of Wright-Patterson, it's protected, and it's under the auspices of the National Park Service. So what happened is, Mm -hmm. is they just scratched their heads and they went away. I got the attention of some base authorities, and I said, you know, there's an anomaly in there that you really need to investigate. And I sent them copies of my book, and, and in the book, I say, think for a minute if I were to take a coffin... And I were to put a uh, extraterrestrial that had been brought to Wright Patterson, and I wanted to bury it in a place that could never be touched again. And I was going to do this kind of on the sly. And I would take that and s- coffin instead of putting it in horizontally, I would uh-huh. drop it in vertically. And now, now I've buried it in a place that nobody is ever going to to uh, investigate.
1: That's a nice theory, but on the other side, if you're going to get rid of an alien body. Why not incinerate it, and spread the ashes? Um, why? Ch- why chance? Why could, chance could, something? We, why? Ch- why chance something being found?
0: We could. We could possibly do that. Uh, what I posit is, is that we would bury them and give them a Christian burial because that's the way we do things on this planet. And if our astronauts were stranded on Mars or Saturn or some planet and they perished, we wouldn't want them permanently in a pickle jar. We want whoever's got them to respect them and, you know, dispose of them, if you will, or, or caretake, uh, Traditionally. So yeah, it's possible that they would do that. Maybe that's what's in there. Maybe that's just the ashes and it's a flat box, but nobody knows. But an exclusive for your radio show tonight is I know that they are going to revisit that site next year and they're going to be doing a more extensive examination, uh, non-intrusive of that site simply because I wrote something in my book.
1: Fascinating. Uh, before the break, we started talking about alien abductions, and, yes. and uh, when we came back from the break, I kind of uh, sidetracked, but I'd like to get back on that if you don't mind. You were, you were saying that there, there are thousands of people, uh, and you know, mis- fetuses removed from the bodies. We've all heard these stories, but if this is happening and the authorities are doing nothing about it, what does that tell you?
0: They are incapable of doing anything about it. That's what that tells me.
1: Could it also be that there's nothing to investigate, that there are other explanations for what's going on?
0: I'm actually writing a trilogy, and that's another exclusive for your radio audience. Uh, The uh, second book in the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy Mm -hmm. is all about the abduction phenomena, and therein I am going to provide clinical, medical, and physical evidence of the phenomena.
1: Why are there not more medical personnel professionals? Uh, because I don't classify a hypnotist as a professional in any, any category. I think they are sleight slide-of-hand artists in that they can actually get the person to talk about whatever they want to talk about. So I, I, I give hypnotism no credibility whatsoever.
0: When I tell Yvonne, boy, she is going to put the voodoo on well, you. Well, you, you, can, you can tell her
1: and you can give her my number. I don't care. I think they're all a bunch of charlatans, a bunch of I- fakes. And I'm I've told them, this. Your,
0: I'm sending her, I'm sending her this, this uh, recording. No problem. And, and I'm sure you will hear from her.
1: I, 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 don't care. I really don't. I'll tell her the same <laughs> thing to her face. I you know, don't. I
0: thought the same thing. I don't believe then, it. I thought the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then, and I, I appreciate, you know, your take on it. Uh, I um, actually got to witness uh, something you know I, I uh, a film crew came in I got mm-hmm. invited to be a witness to this uh, session this uh, regression session and I can tell you that um, I was uh, fascinated. I was floored. I was convinced. Of course, I've only seen one, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, Avon's uh, reputation procedure. She's done thousands of them. Uh, I've had a- extensive uh, interaction with Dr. Leo Sprinkle, mm-hmm. uh, who's now retired. Uh, you know. I've, I've talked to, you know, multiple people who do this, Barbara Lamb, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Jacobs. And, you know, once you talk to these people and see what they do, and I've, talked, talk to to, I've clients, talked
1: to these people, you've got to come away with a different opinion. I've talked to all of the people that you've mentioned and my opinion hasn't changed. Well, that's okay.
0: You know, that's your position and mm-hmm. I, I, I respect that, you know, and, yeah. and why you don't, uh, you know, that's your own choice.
1: Well, because the reason I don't is because there is never any evidence. It's all hearsay. Nothing that is tangible. Nothing that can provide evidence.
0: Well, what what I already provided to you was let's look at uh, the scoop marks, for example. Uh, one one of the. Uh, c- very common type things are unexplained scoop marks, very mm-hmm. deep uh, retrievals, like a small mini spoon has been used to just gouge out a part of the shin or the calf well, or the arm. L- let me ask you. I've seen them. People said, look, at mm-hmm. my parents cannot explain it. I cannot explain it. But I can associate that with a conscious memory of being floated out the window of my home.
1: Okay, when was the last time a report of an alien abduction has come across you know anybody's desk who's who's credible
0: you mean why isn't it on fox news or is that the question
1: yeah how come the the, the accredited news agencies don't don't report it anymore because they're sick of the the mumbo jumbo
0: well, you could call it that, but I can tell you, I was recently on uh, Fox and NBC, mm-hmm. and they were very curious about the whole phenomena. I didn't get any like, oh, well, here comes Ray, you know, Crazy Ray. Yeah. Well, Crazy Ray has got sterling, impeccable credentials mm-hmm. and, and worked, you know, for a research laboratory for the U.S. government for nearly four decades. So they were willing to listen to me because I'm not claiming I'm being beamed up and I'm mm-hmm. never... I don't believe I've ever been abducted and I only had one sighting. So, you know, as a scientist, I'm trained to investigate and sort through this stuff. And as you said, Mm -hmm. there is a lot of smoke here and there was a lot of fire. And and I really hope that someday the evidence that will convince you, you know, is out there for your sake.
1: Well, it's not going to affect me either way. I think what it does is it perpetrates uh, a lot of, uh money for the ufo industry i think that a lot of books are being sold and and i'm not you know there's a lot of crap out there and ever since the advent of the internet in my opinion is the largest septic tank that mankind has ever created because there's more crap in it than there is anything else everybody's become an expert on everything anybody who has a little story to tell can fabricate it blow it up make it sensationalized when a movie comes out from Hollywood, everybody's into the UFO genre. And, you know, you take a look at Roswell, the Roswell Festival. That's a farce. It's a joke, for goodness sake. You've got a carnival at- atmosphere going on in a place that is, that is abusing the, any credibility that is left of the Roswell, cra- uh, Roswell case into a into a into a fair into a Everybody can be an expert including radio show hosts. Oh, well, I'm not an expert. Believe me. I'm not an expert and I never claim to be an expert. What I'm claiming is that a lot of these people in UFO world make no sense. They make no sense. They they come up with a lot of theories, they come up with a lot of angles, but when it comes to the one thing that will give them any credibility, it's missing. And that is the evidence. Are you familiar with the 1952 sighting over
0: Washington, D.C., two consecutive weekends where they scrambled jets yeah. and the, the, the blips were on radar screens at Andrews Air Force Base mm-hmm. and the ground station at uh, Washington National and the, the jets chased after them and they the, the blips that were in the sky blinked out? And it was seen by hundreds of people. How about Randallson Force? You have a lieutenant colonel who's got a career to think All right, about. I, we've got to say so long for say, tonight. Hey. Hey. This, hey. this, this hey. thing is over. It's Listen, down at we,
1: we've got to say so long. So I want to thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's, it's a strange world out there. I agree with you. And one day I hope the truth is found. But until there's any evidence, to the contrary, I'm sorry. I am not a believer. Skeptic? Yes, believer, no. (laughs) I'll be back. Don't go away.